Uh, hey, Chris. Hey. You could say, hey, John. That way I don't have to say who I am. <laughs> hey, John. I don't want you to have to say who you are. Welcome to those of you listening uh, to another season, I guess, of Saul Searching, the podcast where Chris and I recap the most recent episode of Better Call Saul. It's a niche, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're far from the only people servicing this niche. There's a lot of uh, chatter about Better Call Saul these days. Right, right. How are we special? Why, why do we need to be talking about it? These other people are talking about it. Right. Uh, you're asking me because I was about to ask you. Oh. I've just watched episode one of season two, and I'm glad they had the little previously on at the beginning, because yeah. I have to say there were certain things, I, I'd remembered the broad strokes of the story, but I had forgotten certain things about the way I felt at the end of that season, and the way that I felt like Jimmy had turned this corner and was going to make this big change, and it was this gratifying moment to end the season on, where you could almost say, if they ended it there, they told us the story of some genesis of Saul Goodman, you know what I mean? Right. But then picking up this year, I liked how quickly they showed us that making a change like that is not a decision you make when you're driving between two places, you know? Right. And I guess we should state, at the end of last season, he's he's sort of offered what would seem like the dream job of the Jimmy McGill we met at the beginning of season one. I remember last year when that season ended, there were several people that criticized the notion that Jimmy was just going to walk away from this great job, you know, that said that seemed too easy. And and I, could, I thought it was cool that last night they showed us the sort of possible paths of Jimmy walking away, but also the eventual occurrence at the end of the episode where he does come in and does take the job. I feel like that shows you that this show is less interested in kind of rushing this transition to Saul Goodman and more interested in kind of creating a new a new status quo where a story can happen for this season. Right. And whether at the end of this story he's super close to being the Saul Goodman we know or whether at the end of this season it's another incremental shift. Jimmy now is a character with something to lose. He's got, you know, things with Kim are kind of heating up. Um, he's got this job set up. He d- he's not doing it under the auspices of Chuck anymore. He really seems like he's, he's like, at this point, he kind of has what he wants. Right. He's got a cush position. Does that change that quest to be kind of a shit stirrer and a rabble rouser? If you're the guy who's got everything, does that make it seem more kind of entitled? Or are we still are we still buzzing off the kind of righteous anger he felt at, at, at being treated so poorly by his brother and, you know, others. Well, I've found it to be a really big mystery as far as uh, why he went back in the end. And I think that we'll spend more time musing about that, and then maybe they'll give us something that clears it up a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've, I mean, I felt at the end of last season, you feel like he's about to go into the meeting with Davis and Maine, and then kind of feels the ring on his finger and says to himself, you know what, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a con man. I want to have fun. Screw this. And he turns around and leaves. And then at the beginning of last night's episode, you get the idea, okay, maybe he thinks that he needs to take this job because he can only be with Kim if he does take the job. And then she says, no, it's unrelated. And then he says, okay, I'm not taking the job. And so you still – now we're, we're still in the, in the boat with – all right, he wants to be a con man. He's out there in, uh, uh, lying in the pool. Uh, but then at the end of the episode, he decides and goes back to Davison, Maine. And and what do you think motiv- – I have a thought about what motivated that at that point. Uh, but do you have a thought? What's your thought? Well, I have 
kind of two different ways of looking at this. One is within the story as one of the characters, thinking as Jimmy and trying to figure out what his thought process is. And I feel like I have a pretty firm handle of what that is. Mm-hmm. The other is the storytelling decision that the the creators of the show are right. are are enacting. The the thing that they're that by choosing to show us Jimmy in flux, right, and not a Jimmy who is who is rolling forward like a like a steamroller on that mood he had at the end of last year. He's kind of flip flopping. Mm-hmm. You know, the name of the episode is Switch. I don't know if I mentioned that at the right. top of the at the top of the show. The name of the episode is Switch. At the end of the show, there's that great little bit with the light switch in his new office that has the tape over it that says, um, always leave on, do not turn off. And right. then Jimmy peels back the label, <laughs> flips it off, right. doesn't see any consequence from from making the switch, from from breaking the rules. Yep. Looks around, can't tell anything happened, or, or doesn't know yet what the consequences are, flips it back up, kind of carries on the appearance that everything's as it was supposed to be. But for a split second, he just had to either know what was going on or flout the rules. Well, and the switch kind of said to me, yeah, this is just a little character uh, underline. It's like even when he does go and decide to uh, take the big job in the big firm uh, and take the safe route, we're still going to spend a moment demonstrating that that he doesn't uh, follow all the rules. But another side of me just saw that as Jimmy's lounging at the pool, uh, he looks around, he sees, you know, he's sitting there, he fingers the, the pinky ring is, has now become a visual motif that symbolizes a lot of things. It symbolizes Jimmy's thinking about things. It symbolizes Jimmy's uh, tossing back and forth this, this uh, choice between his two lives, you know? Right. The, the, the right path and the, the slipping Jimmy path. Um, and then the, it also symbolizes that he's kind of communing with the spirit of Marco to some extent, like he's rubbing that and it's like, that's his Ben Kenobi, you know? And if we think of Marco as the guy who is his sort of spiritual touchstone, mm-hmm. that's obviously, uh, you know, putting him towards the wrong path in a way. But also I think that like the rings, when he felt, when he was at the pool and he felt the ring that last time, he was looking at that guy who he described on the phone as dripping with Gucci, I yeah. believe. Yeah. I think it was not hard for him to draw a line between himself and that guy. And I don't think he wants to be a gross, fat old guy lounging by the pool. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, I think that, like, that felt very much like a combination of, I'm, I don't want to make my life just bilking these easy targets, but also saying, I don't really want to be the easy target. Like, seeing how, like, the girl comes out and sits next to him, and that guy thinks he's got a great life, but Jimmy sees how ridiculous he is. Yeah. I feel like there may be some sincerity in Jimmy's heart when he takes the job. It's touched on earlier in the episode that there's, like, a moment of him kind of looking around, not knowing what to do with himself when, after you know, the morning after his uh, his liaison with Kim, and she's going to work. And it's a very clear divide between she's literally going to work the job that he used to do. Mm-hmm. And he's now putting on jeans and slipping on his shoes and looking around. And she's saying, you got somewhere to go. And it's a true question. I don't even honestly know, now that he's breaking the rules about the cucumber water, um, is he even going to have his relationship with the nail salon for too much longer? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, right. like, So, I mean, we don't even know if he has a, a hideaway bed to crash on uh, anymore. So, in that sense, it becomes a real question of what is Jimmy doing? Yeah. And I think Jimmy has to be asking that question, too, sitting by the pool. Well, I like all those thoughts, and, and maybe better than mine, but I'll throw mine out there anyway, which is, uh, since he had just gotten off the phone leaving these messages with Kim, where he's kind of uh, almost trying to corrupt her. Hey, come help me con this guy. He's the world's greatest mark, and he leaves those messages, and then he looks at the guy and fondles his ring and says to himself, you know, maybe 
thinking more about Kim. What am I doing? I'm here trying to take this good person and bring her into this uh, stupid life. And also, if I'm going to be with her, that's really never going to work out. If, I, if I'm a, a no-count con man and maybe I need to be a, a straight and narrow lawyer after all. Right, which is great to see that that the character is in flux and behaving like a real person and not like um, a chess piece yeah. on a board that writers have decided to move. Right. Maybe what we both keyed in on is that it's through Kim that we see Jimmy's value. That at this point, if Kim turned her back on him, it would really sting to watch that. You know, after going through the first few episodes of Better Call Saul, you say, okay, they're going to sort of take their time, but with with the whole uh, Chuck debacle, you sort of uh, – what I sort of started to do was imagine, all right, so maybe that's the season one thing. And once Chuck's out of the way, then in season two is when he, he much more becomes the Saul that we know. But just seeing one episode of season two – Kind of made me feel like, oh, but okay, they are going to take their time in everything. They're going to explore everything they want in as much detail as they want. I sort of had thought, oh, maybe we'll put Chuck aside for a while now, but there's a little preview image of him dealing with Chuck and, and looks contentious. And so that makes you say, okay, it's not all put aside. It's not cut and dry as if as if season one was an episode and now we're moving to the next episode, you know, and which I, which I should have guessed because Breaking Bad is that way. You know, you just very much take every little thing and explore it just as extremely fully as the writers want to. So I think we can say they may wait until season six to to uh, to finally have him have the office that we picture him in, uh, or they may do it in the middle of this season or the middle of season three or four. Uh, who knows? There's just no there's no knowing. As much as I enjoyed Breaking Bad, and as much as I thought it was one of the most like perfectly crafted like television statements as far as from first to last episode that it stayed the course of the story it was telling in the first like in the first episode mm-hmm. it lays out a challenge and a set of of characters and and plot elements that the last episode answers those questions you know um but the stated mission of that show was always to go from Mr. Chips to Scarface as was what you know Vince Gilligan the creator of uh that show and the co-creator of Better Call Saul with Peter Gould has always said that. Mm-hmm. So it's – you knew all along that that's where we were going. I feel like saying Jimmy McGill turns into Saul Goodman, even if that is the, the arc of this show, I feel that um, that can mean so many different things that it feels like a more open-ended show. Like I'm prepared to say that after one season, I think Better Call Saul is a more like interesting and mature piece of entertainment than Breaking Bad. I love well, Breaking Bad, but I, like but, a, but I feel like, I mean, it's almost like it's unfair because it's really like season six of Breaking Bad in a lot of ways. It's like these these writers and, and creators are, are firing on all pistons, you know. But as far as just the way I feel about the characters and the sense of what can happen, and, you know, I think that Better Call Saul has the potential to be a more surprising show in a yeah, way. Yeah, Better Call Saul seems like a total mystery box, you know, like Breaking Bad seemed like a big mystery box because I have no idea how – He's going to uh, survive week to week and and get from point A to point B. But at least I have a vague notion of where point B is. When you become a big drug dealer, you have to deal with uh, violence and money and and uh, all crazy issues with your family. You know, so you can look forward to the to having a general idea of where you're going. 
but Saul right. uh, Saul is is pretty uh, wide open, and these writers are just completely creative and not afraid of doing things that, that you don't expect, or more like they run towards anything that they think nobody will expect this. It's like they're connecting this show to Breaking Bad in almost every way they can, but they're also, it's got an identity that's immediately so different. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of big Easter eggs actually last night. I don't know if you caught them or if you maybe are aware of them now, but there were the, the, the two big ones were the tequila. Did you, did you know much about that one? No. You know, the, the expensive tequila that right. uh, Kim and, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, Giselle <laughs> St. Clair and her brother Victor, with a K, right. St. Clair, uh, that they dupe the, what do you call those guys? Uh, Stockbrokers. Yeah, some kind of financial money manager, stockbroker type guy. Yeah, some kind of money manager, stockbroker, douchebag type guy. And, and the utter cliche of one. But um, that expensive tequila that they con him into buying for him is a Fira Añejo, which is a fictional tequila that was previously used in the show in the episode where it was a flashback to Gus's past. Yeah. Where where he went and poisoned the whole cartel. Mm-hmm. Remember? And he poisoned himself too and then had to like vomit it up to survive like his plan was to poison himself along with everyone else right. by drinking the tequila and then to, you know, to survive the poisoning because mm-hmm. he knew it was going to happen. And Z- Zafira Sapphire Blue Blue myth. The other thing about that is the money man guy himself, the douchebag with the Bluetooth, he was in the fourth episode of Breaking Bad. I believe he pulls ahead of Walt and and takes a parking spot at the bank. And then later Walt sees him at a gas station and and puts the squeegee so that it connects the two terminals on the guy's battery and his car bursts into flames. Oh, right. And his bumper sticker, not his bumper sticker, his his vanity plate, and that was Ken Wins, you know, K-E-N-W-I-N-S. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so people have called him Ken Wins all this time. So it's cool to know that both shows have, you know, showed this character being, you know, kind of taken advantage of, but also sort of asking for it. Right. Um, but the idea of that kind of douchebag guy, I mean, it makes me realize that being set in 2002, you know, that really was... Like, you know, Bluetooth is not as much of a thing now as it was uh, when this, you know, maybe even when this show, maybe that's depicting it a little early, 2002. But it's funny that you don't see as many people with the Bluetooth around now. I mean, there was a time when it seemed like maybe everyone will just get used to it and we'll start using it. But it seems like it has gone back to being the the realm of the the douche nozzle, you know, who's who's wearing a a Bluetooth. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I I feel like you're right. It's not as popular, but I don't know what people are doing instead if they've just all kind of gone more to... To earbuds because they're listening to music on those anyway, or uh, I don't know. Maybe it is still popular. But anyway, before we before we leave the subject of this guy of Ken Wins, uh, I wanted to just I jotted down he's he's you know the guy talking loudly in the background who's asking for it. Right. Um, it's so funny the lines they gave him are just reprehensible. There was one line he had about um, a stock. He said it's got no legs. It's like a circus freak minus the fun. Uh huh. <laughs> Um, uh, there's one stock that he says to put a pillow over its face and uh, smother it until you hear the deathbed queef. Mm. Repulsive. And then this, my favorite one, but this is also like the worst thing. But again, in public, loudly, in front of other adults, he says, if you fart like that in someone's face, you're going to give them pink eye for life. Like, I mean, it's it, let's make this guy as loathsome as he can possibly be. Right. It was a great way to have Kim get involved and and not tug at our sympathy. Like, yeah. And maybe maybe we've never seen Jimmy pull a con on somebody where they didn't kind of invite the vampire into their house, so to speak. Were you the least bit afraid that he was going to come after him or something like that? Like in my mind, I was thinking, like, is this gonna is this gonna sour? I, 
I guess it still could, but that felt like a one-off. Like, it seems like that character should be there to be occasionally brought in for a quick abuse, you know? <laughs> right. I didn't think about that. I really was not worried about at the time. But now that you say that, you've got me nervous because it's it's kind of like this show uh, cannot resist bringing everything into several episodes. Every, every little thing in the past that I've thought, oh, that was a quick thing that just only counted for this episode, has come back around and, and had – some uh, bearing in in like three more episodes or whatever. So they may very well, two episodes from now, Ken Wins might see uh, Jimmy on an old billboard or flyer or something, and now he's got a whole new problem. We've been talking a lot about the actual con uh, at the hotel, but I loved the the aftermath of that. I loved the sort of adrenaline rush that Kim and Jimmy were feeling, and then the kiss. When you share a dangerous experience, it really does... uh, uh, bring people uh, together for sure. So did that feel like the culmination of this whole relationship they've been having? I feel like it's a big mystery yet again. It's another thing where they have told us so little. They spent the first season just, uh, you know, giving you little hints that that they have a history and that's all they gave right. you. And now they finally give them, give us some more story. But I got to think that in the middle of this season or something, hopefully we'll get a big flashback that shows you what their relationship went through six years ago and what they, you know, how they had this other crazy breakup three years ago or something uh, or it'll become apparent that they do this once in a while and 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 that this is just another one of those or next week we'll find out that they both think that they are in a relationship or that just jimmy does jimmy does and she doesn't but uh, yeah i'm a total at a total loss they've given us so little information we haven't even mentioned mike and Mr. Price, or we actually know his name is something else now, Daniel something. I think it's Wormold. At any rate, um, the notion that that guy would come back in this hilarious way that, you know, what did you think of that? I love the car and the shoes. That was that was the comedy highlight to me. And with both Mike and the policeman, he immediately takes this hectoring, prissy tone with them, thinking that he's going to talk his way past their reservations as opposed to highlighting their reservations by talking to them in a certain way. You know, like he might have gotten Mike to get in the car, but not by talking to Mike like that. You know, he's another perfect demonstration of, you know, what they've done since Breaking Bad, which is let's show uh, amateurs getting into the crime world and how they really don't know what they're doing or what they're getting into. And, uh, He's just a total rube who's getting into a very dangerous place. You know, if he was smart, he would have just called Mike. Right, but he doesn't know what Mike's powers are. And, and now, but, but totally, yeah, now that his money is missing, uh, we can have some adventure based around that money, uh, very probably, I would think. His money, his drugs, whatever it is, it's all missing. Yeah. There's one actual thing we haven't talked about that I think we have to get to. But before we get to that, I don't know if you had any kind of favorite lines or favorite moments that stood out to you. Well, one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, uh, at some point was the... Uh, the sunk cost fallacy. Um, oh, yes, yes. I was hoping we would talk about that. I thought that was a great... I don't know if that phrasing has existed in the culture before, but that was a great way to put something that I've expressed many times before about, like, if you have a bad habit, it's mm-hmm. hard to stop the bad habit because you've already gone down that road so far, you know? Right. Well, I think it's a phrase among... It's, a, it's probably a phrase among uh, con men, or, or in relation to cons anyway, and also... Uh, just about human thinking and 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 you know the problems of the way the mind works and so uh, you know for a con if you've already given a guy three thousand dollars and you think well I've got to give him another two thousand dollars or I'll never get the ten thousand dollars you know uh, 
the fact that you've given him the first 3000 is what keeps you in it because the sunk cost fallacy but also it's a way that that life cons us you know if you're if you've spent so much time in school to become a, a veterinarian and so much money and then you figure out you don't want to be a veterinarian you you know you think well gosh i've got to keep going because i've put so much into this but jimmy is on to that and i said no you know you really don't have to stay on that path it's it's okay to uh, to make u-turns and and stuff in life or in jimmy's case you, uh, you you jump the track to something that's very uncertain. What he wants to do is sort of inspiring, but it's also we know what it leads to, and we know that he's talking about bilking people. You know what I mean? It's a it's a it's a cool it's cool that they make it seem like a spiritual epiphany that he wants to be a dirtbag kind of. <laughs> yeah, but the, it's cool that we can see the. I mean, don't don't we love our dirtbag characters? You know, Kim walks up and she says. Is this what a midlife crisis looks like? And he says, no, it's clarity, midlife clarity. But then later in the episode, you see that even he's not resolute about that. He doesn't know who he is. It's really kind of interesting that within the episode, we see him go back and forth. Like in a, in a weird way, he goes back and forth a couple of times. Right. Oh, man, this is deep, Chris, because I just realized that was one of the observations I had about the one scene we haven't talked about, which may have been my favorite scene in the whole episode, which was the Gene scene at the top. Yeah. I loved seeing more Gene. I love Gene. Yeah. Gene is a great character because he's got the weight of everything we know about Jimmy and everything we know about Saul and everything we know about, like, the toll that that whole story of what happened in Breaking Bad, what that must have taken on everybody. Mm -hmm. The one thing I was going to say that reminds me of the way this show is put together and the way this episode is put together and the way uh, Jimmy flips the switch up and down at the end, too, is the way that Gene goes back and forth, like, twice. He thinks about letting himself out. Mm -hmm. He starts to hesitate his hand gets really close to the bar on the door but both times he's thinking about what if the cops come what if the alarm goes off what if they somehow find out i'm not who i say i am right it's like even though it's a far-fetched notion and i should say if anyone doesn't remember obviously we're talking about when gene accidentally locks himself in the garbage room the you know the dumpster room of the mall and then he does the same thing on the door on the other end he he knocks on it and screams and then kind of chuckles at the his the futility of his situation and walks away and then he comes back to it and he knocks on it and screams some more before he sits down yeah and i feel like another show wouldn't have depicted all that in the end gene airs on the side of caution and sits there and waits but we're seeing jimmy at a moment where he wouldn't where he would just walk out the door and set off the alarm and not care Right. I love the little SG was here too. I just want to say that that was a great, that was a great little nod to the fact that I mean it was the same thing maybe as the beginning of season one when we see the same you know Gene go back to his apartment um, and put on the old commercials, watch the VHS of the Saul commercials. Right. Like you feel like this character of Gene is maybe he's bubbling towards some kind of of you know, return to form. And we don't know what all has happened in the interim. We don't know what really is going on with Gene. We don't know who's left alive. You know, we don't know Kim, Chuck, Howard, Nacho. We don't know about any of those folks, right. what, where they are now. Right. Well, Mike, we know, <laughs> sadly. Or whether any of them know where he is. So it's very rich, those scenes with Gene. Um, do you think maybe they're just going to do it at the beginning of every season? Or do you think we'll ever get like a you know, a gene episode or a gene season or a, do you think we'll catch up to that point in some way? I just, I cannot predict. It's like this, the, the I'm, I'm kind of done predicting this show. I've, I've started out always guessing like, I think this kind of show would do this kind of thing. But anytime I've done that, I've felt stupid for having done it because they, 
they do something else. So I think they can do whatever they want. But if we go by what they've done, which is have one season, one so far, one scene at the beginning of each season, maybe they'll, maybe they'll keep to that for a while. I mean, it does seem like a cool way to set the tone. Right, and it would make sense anyway, structurally, to just do that every year and then and then when you're close to the end of the show to say, okay, we're done with that story. We're leaping into Gene's story for the last two episodes or something like that. I do wonder, like, is this a mixed blessing for Cinnabon to you know have their name all over the screen? And I'm sure people generally think of Cinnabon as like junk food that 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 we all admit we'll we'll tolerate on a given day, you know. Right. Um, so there's something kind of it's like a pop tart or something. People just kind of allow Cinnabon to be what it is. So it, it's like maybe good marketing to see it on the show, but it also it seems to be about the soul crushing despair of managing a Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah. Like the everything about that that little visor and everything else, like it seems like it's there to visually signify you know, it's everything that you get from a guy who's in a short sleeve shirt with a mustache like that too. Right. But I bet there's a rules that they have to go by as far as like you can't say anything bad about Cinnabon specifically, he can't be standing there hating the way that Cinnabon makes the food or the way that they right. hand down the orders or make the schedule. You know, he can only be uh, miserable in in a uh, an anonymous retail job. Or do you call that retail? Does retail mean non-food as well as, as non-professional? I would call that service. I guess I would call that service industry. But I think that certain service and retail jobs kind of – when you have like a corporate franchise like that where they send you the ingredients in a, and you, there's a way that you do everything, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, especially inside a mall. I think that's – you know, it's got the same concept as retail behind it because the hours are the same. You know, <clears throat> you're both working in a mall environment and you're also – you know, working holidays and you're working till midnight on Saturdays during certain parts of the year and that kind of stuff. Let's do an hour next week on the etymology of the word retail and all the exact definitions. Just totally uh, get into some etymologies. I would like to get into some, uh, you know, some family histories if possible. Ooh, yeah. Some bloodlines, like a, a Lord of the Rings thing for, for us all. Oh, I think we've, what we should do next week, actually, now that you mentioned that, scrap any other plans. Let's do, let's translate this week's episode into Elvish and and perform it next week in Elvish. Which Elvish? Aren't there several different Elvishes? We'll do all of them. <laughs> okay, one for each. And a Klingon. So before we wrap it up, uh, do you have any other little little thoughts? Do you have you had any midlife clarity about this episode you'd like to share at the at the very end? No, I think we touched on everything that I've made note of between between what you brought up and and what I brought up. We didn't mention Coco Bolo, but we've mentioned that in a previous episode. So go back, right, right. But it's a callback, is my point. It's a callback this week to the fact that yeah. if you remember that Jimmy, he didn't really know what it was before. I don't think he just thought it sounded nice, you know. And this yeah. time he says it, and it's like he wanted a Coco Bolo desk, and now he's going to get one. I think that symbolized that Jimmy is now in a position where we will start to judge him a little bit more harshly if he doesn't, you know, if if he just goes off the deep end morally, it seems like now there's nothing pushing him there. Do you know what I mean? He could just be a good lawyer and everything would be okay. It seems like he's in a cush place, but they'll totally, you know, sabotage that because uh, Chuck will come in and try to get him taken off the case or he'll try to get Chuck taken off the case or he'll want to move or something, you know, who knows what. How much of a villain is Chuck going to be going forward? Yeah, there's no telling. And Chuck might come right back and say, Jimmy, please forgive me. I was wrong. I did this. I shouldn't have done the other. And and Jimmy might be uh, unwilling to forgive and seem like he's going to be the 
uh, the hard one in the situation and causing the trouble. I do want to say that based on the episode titles, uh, this one being Switch and the next one, well, it's not anything that rhymes with Switch or that plays off of Switch in any way. So unless there's some kind of long game with the titles this year as far as how they all fit together, it doesn't seem like they're repeating anything like the title gag last year where, you know, where most of the episodes names ended in O. Oh, right. Where it had like Uno, Nacho, mm-hmm. Marco. Mijo. Mijo. I mean, every episode except for Alpine Shepherd Boy, I believe. Oh, right. What's the name <laughs> of the one? Yeah. And the reason was they couldn't call that one. What were they going to call it? What it was a um, it's it's a trademark name that they were going to oh, call it like Hummel, but something that ends with O. No, they were going to call it something um, Jello. They were going to call that one Jello. Oh right, but they couldn't because it was a you know trademark name and they didn't get the permission to do it. So Alpine Shepherd Boy was the only one that broke from from that tradition last year. I was just looking at the titles. I think there are three on the Wikipedia page, but it doesn't look like there's any any connection in mm-hmm. that way. <clears throat> Not that it matters, but you would wonder if they would decide to try to repeat that, you know, that gag every year or that gimmick every year. Yeah. Knowing the episode titles is like the last frontier, maybe, of being a a nerd about a television show. Definitely. Well, you know, we're going to get a chance to do this every week, so there's really no reason to feel like we have to cram anything else in. Okay. I would like to let you listeners know that you can follow us on Twitter at Saul underscore searching, and you can also send us an email at searching at gmail.com. As for you, Chris, hot talk. Hot talk. Thank you.